Hello, hello, and welcome to Pairing, a podcast where we pair wine with art and pop culture. I am your host, Emma Scherzarko, and in this episode, we finally arrive at the first installment of the newest Star Wars trilogy, The Force Awakens. I was joined by Chad Ellis, another brilliant podcaster, and they brought up so many unique and insightful points about both this movie and Star Wars as a whole that I had never thought about before, so I think you're really going to enjoy this one. It's a little bit longer than some of our other episodes, but there really wasn't much that I was willing to cut out of this one, so you're just going to have to suck it up and enjoy even more pairing. (laughs) I'll be brief in this intro, but make sure to check out Chad's audio drama Station Blue, which they create, write, and perform in, as well as Hit the Bricks and the new season of Arden, which they edited and helped sound design. Arden, of course, was co-created by our past guest Christopher Dole and Star's past guest Michelle Agresti, and I make a small cameo in that one, as well as in Hit the Bricks, so please check those out. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of our patrons, and especially to our producer-level patrons, Emma Cohen, Rena Sarame, Zoo Yorker, Allison Turi, Rebecca Blue Penfold, and Caitlin Van Horn, who, if they were stormtroopers, would definitely join Finn in the resistance. And to our top-shelf producer, Michael Beck, who would have done a much better job if he had directed Episode 9. If you'd like to join these magical folks and get access to bonus content for as little as $1 a month, come check us out at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast. As always with these Star Wars episodes, blanket spoiler warning for all of the movies. Now, without further ado, here is episode 67, The Force Awakens, with Chad Ellis. Alrighty, I am so excited to welcome to pairing for the first time another wonderful person in the podcast community, Chad Ellis. Welcome, Chad. Hi. Hello, everybody. And we are going to be talking about episode seven. I had to think about that for a second. What what number? <laughs> it's not like they made it easy for you in really the way they didn't. released it. No, no. Starting with four, five, six, go back to one, two, three, then seven, eight, nine. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know what? It kind of makes sense. Oh, yeah. I was, I was like, just with the new trilogy full on ignoring the old trilogy as well. Makes it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so we're going to be talking about The Force Awakens, which as I understand, is one of your favorites of the Star Wars movies? Maybe your favorite? It Okay, so when we set this up, it was my <laughs> favorite because that was before I could see um, Rise of Skywalker again mm-hmm, and see, like, mm-hmm. okay, how does this all tie together? I th- yeah. But even then, and this will probably come up later, how the new movies sure. and the prequels have changed the way I look at Star Wars in a way that I think is ultimately useful and more accessible Mm -hmm. to like a wider audience but at this point yeah as a standalone film it's definitely my favorite star wars movie and that's awesome yeah and it was that pretty early like i saw it and was like this was incredible and i had one of the best viewing experiences you could possibly have with this movie um but even then when it, it came out you know to be available to watch at home i'd watch it and be like this is incredible uh i love this i 
I um so I definitely want to hear your your watching experience um because I also have a fun story about seeing this for the first time. But I also just wanted to say that I was um I was just rewatching this um to to sort of get it back in my head before recording this episode, and it is so fun. I mm-hmm. love this movie. It is maybe not my favorite necessarily Star Wars movie, but it's up there, and I will defend it endlessly against those who don't like it because I think the main criticism of it I <laughs> I was thinking about it like hardcore Star Wars fans are kind of like Goldilocks because like a lot of them didn't like this one because it was too fan servicey and like too mm. much like a new hope but then uh, they also hated The Last Jedi because it was too different and too not fan y So, you know, it's it's hopeless. It's hopeless. But um but Absolutely. I love both of them. But I had I had such a great time seeing this for the first time. So I want to hear your your story about about seeing it for the first time. Okay. My story has a few stages and I'm gonna try to okay. get get to them in a, a pithy manner. Um so <laughs> I I work I, u- I used to work at a bookstore when it was still there uh, in Santa Monica, which for those nice. who only know Los Angeles is an obscure thing. Santa Monica is on the west side of Los Angeles where the ocean is. Uh-huh. It is one of two places that Rocket Power is based on. So uh-huh. a mix of Santa Monica and Venice Beach, which is just to the south of it, which is also Muscle Beach where Arnold Schwarzenegger did his whole thing. So Santa Monica is like a bit bougie, right. but also very accessible to like randos like me who'd go and work there. And Bad Robot is in Santa Monica. And that's right. Yeah. J.J. Abrams would come in somewhat frequently to the point where like I have multiple I've given shit to J.J. Abrams stories um, nice. in, in fun ways. Uh, <laughs> great. <and> great. <laughs> so he would hang out in our music department a lot. And back when we had a music lead, he would talk to J.J. Abrams a lot. And Uh he talked to him about uh, episode seven, because this is something we were all anticipating. We were like, is it going to be good? Is it going to be terrible? Like, we we didn't know. And they were just, they were holding everything a secret to the point where when they put out the Pops figures, they didn't have their last names because Mm -hmm. people were guessing at like, oh, who are these people? And so he he talked to JJ and he was like, okay, I don't like, I don't want to know anything about the movie, but where should I watch it? And J.J. Abrams mm. was like, watch it at the Chinese Theater, uh, which is in Hollywood. Awesome. That is, awesome. yeah, that's where the original trilogy premiered. Um, mm-hmm. And that those are the specifications that we're filming for. Like, we've made this entire movie to be shown at that specific theater. And so, that's awesome. yeah, I got opening night tickets with a bunch of my friends to that theater. Um, that's incredible. Yeah, it took several buses to get over there. Uh, it was the first movie I saw in that theater since then. I've seen episode eight. I saw, um, uh, whatchamacallit, I saw Black Panther there. I saw Endgame there. Awesome. So it's incredible. Awesome. Yeah, it's like it, they use 3D glasses, but they're the fanciest 3D glasses ever. Like they have sensors on them that if you try to leave with them, like people mm-hmm. in suits will come after you. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> so I didn't even have what would be considered to be a good seat, but like every seat in that theater is a good seat. Like n- they're all fantastic. So yeah, I saw it there with a bunch of my friends and then, you know, going into it, it's just this question. It's like, I've been watching Star Wars movies as long right. as I've been alive. Um, right. Is this going to be trash? Yeah. And I was, what's, what's it going to be? Yeah. And they, they kept 
a clamp down on any information about the movie. And so then watching it, I was just, you know, a couple scenes in, I was just enthralled. And then by the end, I was like, yeah. I am so happy right now. Me too. I, I have to say, like, going to see it. So uh, my story is not as exciting as that, but I think I think you'll appreciate it because it was it was just after we did the Wolf 359 live show mm. and um, the only one we did. And then so far, maybe we'll do another one. But do another um, one. but uh, let's hope. Fingers crossed. But uh, but we all decided that we wanted to see it together. But I had this. I I think it was right when I had decided to move out of New York, but I hadn't quite moved out of New York yet. And so my my now husband, who was just my boyfriend at the time, flew in from Colorado to see the live show the night before we went to see this movie. But we were like, okay, we have this opportunity. My my family was in town too. And so the day the day of going to see The Force Awakens, my mom and my stepdad drove me and Winston to go meet my grandma so that my so that Winston could go meet my grandma in western Massachusetts. So that was like a four hour car ride. We left in the morning and then we met her and then I think we had a friend like drive us to the train in New Haven and then we took the train from New Haven back to New York and then went oh, to wow. like an eleven PM showing of The Force Awakens in Manhattan with the whole Wolf 359 team. So Amazing. we were exhausted, exhausted. But I remember that day. That is like one of my favorite days that I've had because it was just so crazy. And then Well, what an iconic way to cap it off. Yeah. Totally. Totally. And yeah, and we were like similarly like it is this going to be good is it going to be terrible who knows and and i just found it so so utterly delightful and in rewatching it like those things are still delightful to me um same and... i yeah there were many fights at my bookstore the next day uh between uh-huh. we had like factions of people who you know, thought <laughs> this or thought that and do you, yeah. do you ever get this thing where you watch something or you, you play something or something and you're like, I enjoyed every element of this. And then you mm-hmm. go talk to the world and they're like mad at it and they don't like it. And you're like, and you, you're you trying not to gaslight yourself. But at this set, you're like, did I miss something? Yeah. That was me with this totally. Star Wars movie. I was like, this seemed perfect to me. And then I went when I went yeah. back and saw it again, I was like. No, no. After, you know, months of hearing people's opinions, I was like, no, no, I I love this movie. This is got some of the coolest stuff in any Star Wars movie in it. Me too. And I really do think it's it's in many ways kind of like the tightest of the Star Wars movies. Yes. I don't know. I don't know if I can say that definitively, but like. It just the way the story moves is so organic and it has such a great pace to it mm-hmm. that I found that really compelling. And like the humor is great and like the introduction of the new characters and and the characters themselves are great and the acting is great. So it's all to me, it's just totally delightful. And yeah, sure. Maybe it's a little fan servicey, and it, you know, I know some critics didn't like it because it was too similar to A New Hope, but that was the point. <laughs> well, and this gets into the whole thing of, right. you know, for one, when it comes to like fan service, I always question fan service because I'm like, 
Most sure. of our famous written works reference other material as a tool right. to like put you in the mode that they mood that they want you to be in. Right. Is that fan service or is that just good storytelling, right? Like Yeah. And the Well, I think they can exist together, you know. Well, and I respect people who wanted something completely different. And so they did not sure. like the connections to episode four and, and some of the other Star Wars movies. Sure. But J.J. Abrams specifically set out to connect and then build on these elements we're familiar with. And so Mm -hmm. much like I love a lot of my one star reviews on my podcast because they complain about (laughs) what I was trying to do. They're like, wow, he did this and this and this and I hated it. And I'm like, oh, cool. So you didn't like it, but that means I accomplished my goal. Right, exactly. That was the same thing with J.J. Abrams with this movie. It's like, I respect people who didn't like that he did that, but he did succeed in what he was trying to do. Totally, absolutely. At least with episode seven, yeah. And I'm At least with episode seven, yes. <laughs> well, and it, it wasn't just his idea. I remember reading an interview where he was talking to some mm-hmm. like old film guru about, you know, in theory, if you were to like take on episode seven before episode seven wasn't something anybody right. was thinking about what would right. you do and he's like well you'd have to connect it back to the first movie like, of course aka episode four as we right i'm sure right. has been referenced yes. many times in this series how confusing this is for people who have not definitely. been into star wars yes definitely and i i i can't help myself i i i almost always when i refer to episode six i say the last jedi even though i mean return of the jedi mm-hmm. it's all very confusing yeah. but here we are So I wanted to tie in my first little wine pairing thing, which is appropriate because my first thought was like, okay, if I was going to drink a wine while watching this movie, what would I want to watch? And the first thing that popped into my mind, I was like, well, I want to drink a rosé while watching this movie because it's just fun and like delightful and, and, you know, some of them have some complexity to them, but like for the most part, they're just like enjoyable wines um, that, that are like at least if they're well-made, they're very well-made. Um, but then I was like, oh, but that's kind of cheating because that was the wine that I chose for uh, for episode four. And then I was like, oh, no, that's perfect. Like, I feel like that's that's very appropriate to want to drink a similar wine watching this movie uh, as with watching A New oh, Hope. Oh, totally. You, you want your taste buds to be taking you back to where you were when you watched episode four exactly. for this new journey. Exactly, because nostalgia is like a big part of it, I think. You know, like I think I think this movie does stand on its own and say somebody came in and watched this movie without not knowing anything about Star Wars. I yeah. still think you could appreciate it. I think you could appreciate it as a movie, but it's really elevated I think by the the callbacks to the the original trilogy and I think at least for me personally, you know, like the first time you see Han and Chewie come out together, it's just like utter joy and <laughs> and and like seeing Leia for the first time and then seeing Luke at the very end. Like those are like really exciting moments, even though they with the exception of Harrison Ford and Han Solo, like are not the biggest part of this movie. Right. Which is good, I think. Absolutely. I think, yeah, I agree. Yeah. If you're going to bring in an original trilogy character in Han and Solo or Han Solo and Chewie are, are good options. And when you had that initial like title scrawl and it's just like mm-hmm. Luke is gone. I was like, thank yeah. God. Yeah. 
because <laughs> I'm I'm sorry I'm done with this family. Yeah. <laughs> well, unfortunately, not quite done. Uh, but apparently not. But yes, uh, which leads me to this is kind of jumping around in terms of the story of the movie, but I know this is a thing that people have different feelings about. Um, How did you feel about Han Solo and the resolution of his story? I loved it. I My favorite deaths of all time in media Mm -hmm. are Mm -hmm. when you take a character that Mm -hmm. has already told their story and Mm -hmm. you kill them off. I'm always for it. I think you and Harrison Ford have that in common because he wanted to kill Han Solo like back in... Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> yeah, he's a smart man, and you know, I'm I'm he glad is. they didn't like he worked for the rest of that trilogy. Yeah, yeah. And I also, you know, something that as as far as tying back, because I did not have a lot of interest in bringing back the characters I grew up with into these movies, mm-hmm. especially once I met all the new characters, because I loved all the new characters, right? Right, right. They fit just enough of the archetypes while also being like quite distinct and quite different. And I would argue that episode seven is the most character-driven movie in the entire series. I think you could be right. I think think there's a good argument to be made for that, for sure. I mean, the fact that they have this ridiculous, absurd, planet-sized Death Star thing that eats suns, and that isn't really the driving force of the movie. It's just kind of this background thing. Whereas, you know, with the old Star Wars movies, the Death Star was was this driving thing. Yeah, the new characters, like, that that was what I was there for. And I think that's ultimately what propelled this as my favorite movie. Is this, yeah. These are movies that have empathy. They explore relationships. Uh, they have great chemistry together. And so when you, when you have yeah. these old characters, it's just like, well, I mean, I'm good. But then they did the other favorite thing. Like, you recently played through Witcher 3. Yes, and yes, I did. The best part of The Witcher 3 is you were experiencing all these characters post-retirement, right? Mm -hmm. Their heyday is gone. Their redemption day is gone. They are not relevant anymore. They are just trying to figure out where they even fit in the world at this point. Things have not gone the way you would have hoped. And so when you have like Han and Leia aren't together, I'm like, great. And then Mm -hmm. my favorite, you know, I know you're doing an episode about episode or you're doing a, a show about episode eight, mm-hmm, but my mm-hmm. favorite thing in episode eight was Luke. I love Me what too. they did with Luke, which Me I know too. is controversial. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, I'm like, I want to see how these people break over time and then we come back to them and you're like, you kind of have that somberness, right? And so mm-hmm. then killing, for one, as soon as he killed, <laughs> there were two things. As soon as he killed Han, I'm like, oh, cool. Kylo's gonna gonna be uh, a Jedi by the end of this series. Totally, yeah. <laughs> it, it was a mix of that. And then th- this just gets into my, you know, reading too, because I, I read so many books, reading too sure. deeply into just every bit of imagery. But mm-hmm. when um, Rey and Kylo are fighting at the end and she they lock lightsabers and she slowly drives his lightsaber into the snow and you hear it. Yeah. So I was like, oh, cool. Kylo's going to like, you know, have a turn to the light side right. by the end of this series. I And I just walked out saying that as if it was obvious and people were like, well, no. I was like, no, didn't you see the lightsaber yeah. go into the snow? Clearly, this totally. means, <laughs> which spoiler alert, you know. Spoiler alert. 
that's what happens. Um, and and I I agree. I think that the the characters being the driving force of this of this movie and and to a certain extent of the rest of the um, of the rest of this trilogy or you know mm-hmm. this episode seven eight and nine. I I think that's really perfect. What one more thing his death did was it. This is kind of a background thing, but it really just it showed me a different side of his relationship with Chewie. Yeah, because you immediately have Chewie go berserk in a way we've never seen before. And he just starts blowing people up and freaking out. You're just like, oh, God, you're not just a lovable mascot. Yeah, you're this like 300 year old like guy who's just you know especially when you go into the context of like he probably grew up with kylo and like... right yeah no absolutely like he's he's in in some ways in many ways like as we see like chewy is really han's like true love in some ways you know not necessarily yeah. romantically but but, but it's, it's that strong like the strongest of platonic bonds absolutely absolutely and and to to then have Han taken away. It's really powerful. It really is. Also, just a sidebar, um, I've been to Dragon Con in Atlanta a few times, and uh, which is very okay. fun. Very fun. If, you know, we can never go to conventions again, I highly recommend it. But um, we went one year and Peter Mayhew was giving a a panel and so we got to see Peter Mayhew speak before oh, nice. he died and it was really fun. He is or he was gigantic. <laughs> oh yeah, bit like just almost a muppet of a man, which is appropriate yeah. given what he's doing, right? He's, he looks like something made. I mean this in the nicest way, like a, a Jim, a detailed Jim Henson. Uh, yeah, marionette. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, but that was that was really fun. And I love all of Chewie's moments in this movie. Like, like um, one of my favorite. I like lost it in the theaters the first time I saw when he's like getting patched up by the doctor, and he's like talking to her, oh, and yeah. she's like, "You sound very brave." And he's like, "Yeah." <laughs> the the humor in this movie I thought was spot on. Me too. Um, and especially when we're dealing with like. I think what's considered Disney humor at this point in that the Marvel, you know, Joss Whedon made Avengers and now Mm -hmm. every Avengers movie or every superhero movie has the same like comedic quips, even when they're not appropriate. Sure. Absolutely. And Star Wars. Yeah. I thought episode seven was a good kind of start off for this style of humor Mm -hmm. that I felt actually hurt it in episode eight. Like the humor is one of the few things I don't like about episode eight at all. Like it kind of takes me out of it. Interesting. Um, Yeah. Because with the humor in episode seven, it is it's earnest and it's fun and it kind of has yeah. those like qualities you'd find in like an Indiana Jones movie. Totally, uh, yes. Without taking away from everything that's happening around it, where mm-hmm. is the the humor in like eight is kind of this like okay we're going to actively demean this character for example or this moment to get like a joke where it's like okay we're gonna stop and have a joke now as opposed to having a joke help you with the momentum yes i i I agree with that i think you're right that it's it's much more organic in this one yeah especially when you have a character like ray who's just such a berserker right if she Mm -hmm. were like a D D class she'd be a barbarian totally 
Yeah. I mean, she just charges people. Like she, BB-8's like, oh, that guy took my my boss's jacket. Yeah. And she looks over and immediately charges <laughs> immediately and attacks charges him. him. Yeah. Does not think about it. Yeah. Also, John Boyega is just so funny. And, and particularly in this movie. He, and- he, yeah, he brought a, you know, it, it, it's a, it's interesting that that's, he's using a kind of an American accent and he mm-hmm. is not an American, like he, he doesn't he naturally has, have an American accent. He um, has one of what I think one of the best American accents. Cause it, like, I always feel like with, with British people, when they put on an American accent, like Benedict Cumberbatch or something, I, you know, they kind of oh, sound yeah. like this or something. Yeah. <laughs> and- it, it's very... Yeah, they they kind of occupy that idea of yeah. what an American accent would be. They're they're too American. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So when we see him, and then also you just give his upbringing, where like, all right, you're this brainwashed, you were stolen as a child as like a replacement for this right. clone army concept. I love like passive world building. I love the kind of world mm-hmm. building where it's like we're gonna just give you a sentence and not expound on that, which yeah. is. The driving force of the original Star Wars movies is we're going to mention things. And before there was extended universe and people would take any sentence and write an entire book about it. Right. uh, It was just like, oh, no, this is just telling you there's a bigger world out there. Right. And so his whole like deal with Phasma was very interesting to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I do think, you know, going back to a little bit what you were saying earlier um, or maybe maybe I'm sort of putting words in your mouth, but sort of what I interpreted you saying. Put, it, was, put him there. Yeah, <laughs> is how like this movie simultaneously like pays homage to the original trilogy trilogy, but then also kind of subverts some expectations. And so like starting the movie with a stormtrooper waking up out of like being brainwashed is establishing that we're in in this world like we're in the same world that you know and love but it's going to be a little bit different yeah can we talk about that scene for a minute i would love to okay so we see this like almost gritty but still with the sheen like star stormtroopers on the drop ship Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. the first time you're tapping into their anxiety of like oh these are people these are soldiers yes they're about to go shoot people and get shot at Mm-hmm. They go out. We get this very interesting kind of war scene, right? It's not a power fantasy. It's not you know no mm-hmm. pulp thing. It's just straight up this. Yeah. The stormtroopers are good at shooting things. Mm-hmm. Like all, all of the lip service they give them in the original trilogy is yeah. finally true. Yep. <laughs> uh, and then the, the way of distinguishing uh, Finn. With the blood, yes. right? Is yes. he sees one of his people get shot? They they reach over and cover his, which like I barely see blood in a Star Wars movie. Yeah. And so now yeah. we have this streak across this mask of blood of you know a stormtrooper mm-hmm. has died. Right. And he's also too frozen up when they're doing the whole firing squad. He's yeah. too frozen up to do anything about yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like all of those pieces to me were just such a great start to the thing because I was like I want to know who this person is absolutely I think it's an amazing storytelling device right Um, and then and then they use that to introduce to me one of the best introductions in the entire series if not the which is Kylo Ren's freaking bat like gothic (laughs) horror ship coming down like a bat looking like something out of an old horror movie yep like I love the Kylo Ren theme too Mm -hmm, Uh, mm mm-hmm 
and then and then with further subverting the the most important thing the thing i wanted out of this movie going in i, mm-hmm. I tried to go in with you know i went in with low expectations mm-hmm. i went in with not a lot of wants but to me for one the jedi have never made sense to me mm-hmm. it makes sense to me that they exist but i do not take their tenets for like at their word like sure. i don't that's probably wise <laughs> yeah what the jedi yeah. say they are i'm like that's just propaganda that's what you say right. you are like right. this doesn't actually make sense there's right. no balance here right which is something they do a good job of getting into with the clone war show i don't yeah. know if watched i that, haven't seen it yet i i need to my husband keeps telling me i need to see it i've heard it's really if you good. want if you want to really like the uh episode one through three mm-hmm. they make those movies significantly better that's what i've heard is that they it expands that world yeah because like when you have order 66 happen Mm -hmm. and you're like i don't know who any of these jedi are that they're killing right right yep yep you will have spent half a season with each one of those characters so when you come back to that that's um, what that's what i've heard and so you actually care about them and like understand their characters a little bit more (laughs) right so but what i wanted out of this movie is it's like you have the forces like dying out and all these things are dying out in episode four through six Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so with this i'm like i you know i was right at that age where a lot of the comic books were coming out a lot of the video games were coming out a lot of this like creative expanded universe of star wars was coming out and i would read them and go like well, why don't they do any of this in the movies? Like, why, right. why don't we have... And they you see a lot of the Jedi superpowers in episode one through three, but you don't see yeah. kind of the mystic wizard elements. Like, they keep t- calling them wizards and, you know, they're part right. of an old religion. Right. And so with this movie, I'm like, I do want, like, this reborn force. Yeah. I want to see force users who are organic mm-hmm. and who just tap into it and who, like utilize it in that way and so when you have kylo come out and then freeze that blast yeah from uh in air for an entire conversation and then walks away and then it's still there and then he finally lets it go and it goes you're just like okay i'm dealing with like a new caliber of force user here right right no i think that's great and and i do love i love it especially in this movie i think like watching ray discover her powers in in a really kind of raw organic way i cannot understand people who are like raise a mary sue and everything just comes to it's like the whole the thing they've been hammering into our head with the force this entire time is for one the force seeks balance right um the force is a teacher in its own way Mm -hmm. uh the force is a natural thing that flows through people and now we're living in a world with like or in a, a galaxy with very few force users, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you don't have a true Sith right now. Right. Um, because, like, Kylo has that interesting, like, reverse conflict. of uh-huh. He's pulled to the light. He has to try really hard to stay with the dark. Right. Which is like a, you know, a mirror of Luke's journey. Mm-hmm. Or Anakin's. But then, or, um. yeah, but then you... Also, you don't really have a Jedi out there. Like, we learn later yeah. Luke has forsaken the Force. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Leia, Leia is in her own way. And so it makes sense that, like, yeah, it's going to basically nominate. It's going to find these individuals and be like, here you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Ray, where she's, like, grown up as a scavenger and as a survivor in this very, like, specific thing. Um, right. So for one, she already knows how to fight in a way that like Luke never could yeah. because it is 
There's a difference between like a martial artist and somebody who fights to survive. Right. The person who fights to survive is almost always going to win because they just know you got to go yeah. for it and you got to go for it now. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I was like, it's called The Force Awakens. And also we need new people. And it's Force isn't this thing being passed down from person to person. It's this right. thing that's finding people. Right. And so I loved Ray's whole deal with that. Like Me too. Me too. That's That's what I was looking for. That's the mystic kind of endowment that that I was after um and I I don't know if you want to get into the whole like bloodline thing here but this is before we knew yeah. about any kind of bloodline right yeah I was gonna say my biggest disappointment with the trilogy and and specifically with Rise of Skywalker I hated the decision to to have her be the emperor's granddaughter. I loved the idea that she was truly like nobody. That was my own personal opinion. Um, I think it's also bad timing because at this point, you know, we kind of live in this culture that's getting increasingly fed up with nepotism and wealth being passed on from like one group to another. Sure. And there's no way you don't interpret force and like this sort of we're, we're kind of over those stories yeah right? we, yeah we do want stories of people like finn um exactly you know i thought i personally thought that it cheapened her whole story to have to feel like they had to give her like this legacy that i didn't think was necessary and i think part of what was beautiful and was kind of tied in was that like the skywalkers are her found family and and that would have been more than enough for me to like yeah. show how she's taking on the the mantle and the legacy of the Jedi and this that and the other thing to to have her be the emperor's granddaughter oversimplified it for me at, at the same time it and I referenced this earlier, and I'll talk yeah. about this this now. Sure. I uh, I edit a show called Story Break, which is a, uh-huh. a Max Fun show where these three uh, Hollywood types try to like take ridiculous concepts and just like turn them into a, an elevator pitch by the end of the episode. Awesome. And something that one of them had an epiphany about Star Wars that I I think I agree with, mm-hmm. which is that with Star Wars you had the first three movies come out. And then you could not watch them for a long time. It was a very long time before they were available at home. Um, You know, when you get into things like characters like Boba Fett, it's like, why is Boba Fett so popular? My uncle was like, Boba Fett was so popular because when we left the movies, we only had toys Mm. to continue Mm -hmm. telling Star Wars stories. Mm -hmm. And Boba Fett was the coolest toy and you could That's also really only special order him. So only, you know, like get the anticipation of getting a Boba Fett action figure was like this thing. Huh. And so then you're going to take care of your Boba Fett, which means that so much of the legacy of like people who were Star Wars fans who raised us were, you know, kids or like a younger age then. And they were playing with these toys and they were the right. people who were like kept this rabid obsession going. Mm-hmm. But we had three what are considered to be very good movies. Right. And then we had nothing. And then we had three what are considered to be very bad movies, at least right. two of them. Right. And the reason there's so much outcry and rage about them is because we were all taking Star Wars very seriously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and now those movies are kind of gaining an they they have an audience now right Mm -hmm. because now we don't expect that out of star wars anymore right um and now with the new trilogy it is 
Um, it is a mixed bag. Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. like one of the movies, you probably don't like one of the other movies. Yeah, um, I think that's fair. I to have say. I have every opinion. Like to sum up, I love episode seven. I wouldn't change a thing. Episode eight, I love the concept of, and it has some of my favorite stuff in all of the Star Wars movies. But as an entire package, it I I never walk away from watching episode eight, and I wish I did. Being like. Ooh, what a great time. I always walk away being like, what great concepts, what great tools, what great things this did for Star Wars. Totally. Uh, And then episode nine nine for me is the opposite. It's a great time and it's nonsense. Yeah, I think I think that's that's a good way to sum up these three movies for sure. Right. Right. And so, you know, so he's talking about like, this is the way we see Star Wars. Meanwhile, Star Mm -hmm. Trek, if the new Star Trek movie Mm -hmm. comes out Mm -hmm. and you go and you talk to your Star Trek friend and you're like, oh, I heard it's really bad. They're going to be like, well, yeah, it's a Star Trek movie. Right. Right. Sometimes they're good. A lot of times they're bad. That's not why we love Star Trek. Mm -hmm. Like in Mm -hmm. the same way where some Star Trek episodes are good and a lot of them are just ridiculous. Right. And so now that we've had time and now with this new trilogy, I think it's to me, solidified Star Wars is a thing that we shouldn't take intensely seriously. Yes. We should know that it is a, it comes with a variety of things, which then hopefully will allow us to appreciate like one through three more or appreciate episode nine more. Yeah. Because the fact of the matter of all these movies were inspired by like old pulp sci-fi stories, which totally. are inherently ridiculous. And absolutely, Ray would be Palpatine's granddaughter- and whether that was actually Palpatine right. or a clone or whatever. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And of course, Palpatine is on like an, an arm. And yeah. He's, you've, you've got, he's, a, he's a lich and he's got his undead dragons, a.k.a. Storm. That all so fits in that like Flash Gordon. Right. Silliness that like is the thing Dungeons and Dragons was birthed from, is the thing Star Wars was birthed from. Totally. I, I guess my main problem with with that decision is not necessarily the decision itself, but the fact that it came out of nowhere, it felt like. Like, it was yeah, not no, established it, in the first it, two it, movies. The episode eight was a big risk, big reward, right? Yeah, yeah. The big ri- it was like, J.J. Abrams gave me a movie I loved, mm-hmm. but then I wanted someone to break his toys because there are certain yeah. things in Star Wars I'm tired of. Yeah. I'm tired of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of blowing up shields uh-huh. to, a, to a thing so that we can then blow up the thing, right? Right. As soon as that happened in Rogue One, I'm like, this is your last one. If I ever see this again, I'm throwing my popcorn. I'm so over this. That's hilarious. And like, I I don't consider Starkiller base to be the same as like a Death Star. Like Starkiller yeah. base was a big dramatic set piece that was used to blow up the planets from the first trilogy. So we knew mm-hmm. that we're not going to, or from episode one through three. So we're, mm-hmm. we knew we were, we were not going to deal with that. And it's right. just, we're going to have dramatic fights on this. And you know what? I'm about it because even blowing up yeah. Starkiller base was not the same as like blowing up the Death Star when it came to stakes or when it came to any of that. It, it was Definitely. like still character moments, right? Definitely. It was ways to like get these characters in the same places and give them, you know, ticking clocks. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, like you said earlier, like the the that is more the backdrop of this movie. It's not the driving force of this movie, mm-hmm. so to speak. <laughs> well, and this and we were talking about characters earlier, and mm-hmm. like thinking Starkiller Base makes me think of Hux's speech. Yes, and what you take 
you take hucks from like the okay you're like the bureaucrat i don't take you too seriously you're you're you know you're the like you're the guy that like i take seriously because i know you're gonna do something terrible but i don't respect you exactly yeah and then you see his fascist speech and you're just like holy smokes Uh, okay proto palpatine like what yeah, Are, you're you know, and it's like while the blast is going, and you see it reflected in his eyes, so he just yeah. has these Sithy eyes, which then brings us to you know, br- or brings me to this idea mm-hmm. that like, how is the Force Awakens ever going to fill the shoes of Episode Four through Six, the right. original trilogy? Right, and they explore that through the characters mm-hmm. because it's mm-hmm. like Hux absolutely is trying to like live in some kind of Emperor Palpatine thing. He's not quite right. doing it. Kylo right. is utterly is trying as hard as he can to be a Darth figure, a Vader figure, and is not doing it. And I love. Um, sorry to interrupt you. I just wanted while we're talking about Kylo, I love the like self awareness of the movie of like his angstiness. And, oh, I, I would love to just get into Kylo. Af- you oh, know, we like, definitely a- after this. We definitely yeah, could, absolutely. So, so yeah, and then you have Ray, who's like this mentorless like kind of like luke shoes right and then you yeah. have like poe fits doesn't fit the han solo archetype because he's just a good guy like right, he's just right. he's somewhere between he's a good han person. and leia like because he right. is he is a soldier he has a sense of integrity and morality but he's kind of like the roguish loose cannon a little bit that that han he, is. he fits more of like the harrison ford archetype character than he yeah. does like han solo i think that's that's accurate yeah you have all these characters that like are not going to be, you know, don't know if they're they're going to try to fill in these shoes. They're not mm-hmm. going to be able to, and then they're going to have to make their own shoes. Right. Yeah. No. And that's beautiful. And and that's part of why I love Finn's character as well, um, because he you can't quite codify him uh, the same. You know, he's not quite. There's he, no he's, other. Character. He's the new element. Yeah, he's the new element, and I love. In many ways, I feel like this movie is Finn's movie, um, even yeah. though even though it's at least if not equally very much so Ray's story also. He he goes toe-to-toe with Kylo yeah. for like 15 he, seconds. Like, yeah. He, yeah. He, totally. Like, well, and he has his whole, um, oh, what what did they used to call that storm? They they made a name for that stormtrooper who's like, traitor. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I forget his he, he had like a little fandom form. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we, got, we got to see his training there. We got to see him use the lightsaber a bit. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Like there's a hint that he may have some ability with the force as well, but it's not fully explored yet. And... It will it will be confirmed off screen over Twitter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as will as will his and Poe's relationship, but we don't need to get into that. But that's my personal uh, ship. Th- but, I, I just want to say, oh, I just want to say they have the best chemistry of any character in any Star Wars movie. Abs- absolutely. Absolutely. In the, in the same way where like in CW shows, occasionally they have to go off of their script because they realize that these two actors don't have chemistry and these two actors do. So now we need to right. write around that. Right. Whether or not that was a planned thing. And I know like John Boyega and... Um, Oscar Isaac. I, I, yeah. Both were like, no, we're leaning into the gay. Like, yeah, we're just yeah. leaning into I, it. I remember when, when, I think just before Rise of Skywalker came out, I saw an interview with Oscar Isaac or like a clip with Oscar Isaac. And he was like, 
Yeah, I wish it's something that we could have explored more, but I guess Disney's still not ready for that. <laughs> Although well, something that, I'm like, paraphrasing. At the, at the but... start of episode nine, it's clear that they were together for like six months and now they're in oh, a rocky yeah. spot like oh, they broke yeah. up two weeks ago. The, the way they're talking about each other is a way only exes talk about someone they have to still cohabitate with. 100%. 100%. And, and you, you can throw all the like prospective girlfriends you want at these characters. Yeah. You all know where they're, they're going to be back to each other in a we, month. But, we know. We all know. You know, so it's it's it, get, it works a little bit more as a ship because you're like, okay, the actors are fighting for this, we're fighting for this, the chemistry yeah. is there, the the te- it doesn't conflict with the text. Absolutely. Um, but you you wanted to talk about Kylo. Yes, I do want to talk Kylo real quick before that. I just because we're talking about these characters, I did come up with little wine pairings for for these characters in this movie. Amazing. That I wanted to just touch on real quick. Um. So for Finn, I was thinking um, Finn feels like a Malbec to me because, I mean, he starts out as a stormtrooper and Malbec gets this really bad reputation in the wine world because a lot of it is like mass produced and really cheap. Um, And they're basically just like trying to make as much of it to be as similar as possible. Um, Stormtroopers. Stormtroopers. But then every once in a while you get like a really great, vineyard or like a a winemaker who like knows what they're doing and like actually cares about it and you can get really really great Malbecs and so I feel like Finn in this movie is like breaking out of the mass-produced Malbec into the like really awesome well-made Malbec I love that that is my that is my Finn pairing Ray I you know I'm I'm not a hundred percent in agreement with my past self um, <laughs> who came up with this pairing. But I said Sauvignon Blanc for her because Sauvignon Blanc, like, to start out, again, like, starting out in the movie, she she at least thinks of herself as, like, living this very simple life or, like, you know, like, her goals are very basic. I mean, it's basically survival. And Sauvignon Blanc, like, when it's very simple, is just, like, a very, like, quaffable. It's, it's my, like, go-to white wine if I don't recognize the wines on a, in a store or on a wine list or something, um, that's what I go to because it's reliable and it's like pretty consistent. And so we get the sense that she starts out like with a pretty consistent life, albeit a tough life. And, um, and then she starts experiencing like what, what her own abilities are and what the world could be. And, uh, and that's like, similarly, kind of a similar, in a similar vein to Malbec, like Sauvignon Blanc can be really, really great. And so she's like discovering the different types of Sauvignon Blanc she could be. However, I really like what you were saying earlier about her being like a barbarian or berserker kind of character. And Mm -hmm. so that makes me want to give her a great more like like Syrah or um Oh yeah. Or something something like that, which is just like really heavy and like it's got it some bite to it. Bite to it. It's very tannic and like really strong and forceful. So so I kind of like that a little bit better for her even. So we'll we'll think about that, depending on what mood you're in with Ray. Um yeah. <laughs> and then um and then with Poe He's got to be like a tempranillo because it's very spicy and like he's he's just a very kind of like hot headed character. Like, again, yeah. with like like we were talking about, like the strong sense of integrity and morality, 
which, like, Tempranillos are really great wines, but they have this, like, very spicy quality to them that I think is right for him. I'm so into it. We got to send these to the actors. If I ever meet one of them. Yes. Hey. My friend Emma gave you paired a wine with yeah. Star Wars character. <laughs> Please do. If you if you meet John Boyega, tell him he's a Malbec. <laughs> Will do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, let's talk about Kylo. Um, okay. And then maybe 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 I'll I'll bring in a wine for him as we talk about him. But yeah, I will say so. I started out the I think the first time I saw this like I really I really like Adam Driver but the first time I saw this I didn't love him as Kylo or I didn't mm-hmm. maybe it's not that I didn't love him as Kylo it's just that I didn't love Kylo as a character yeah. that makes the, sense the more I watched it the more I've grown to like understand and appreciate the character more so I'm curious to hear what your feelings are on on Kylo Ren, Ben Solo. So I, I work a lot with Byronic heroes. Uh-huh. Uh, my show Station Blue is yes. like really just a gothic, you know, it's it's a modern take on like a gothic uh, horror. And yes. gothic horrors often feature these Byronic heroes, which uh-huh. you know, are a, a lot of the characters we kind of like or like like to hate fit in yeah. that Byronic area, which Kylo 100% of the way is, right? It's like- yeah. They're, they're bad people. They're, they're very moody. They're very introspective. They're haunted, mm-hmm. uh, which are all things that could be said about Kylo. Absolutely. As soon as he took off, the the movie does some very specific things, right? Yes. The first time we see him, it, it cloaks him in something that is reminiscent of Darth Vader, but something new. Right. Um, it emphasizes the robes, which brings us back to kind of that religious um, mm-hmm. element to the Force, mm-hmm. which is something that I think uh, Episode Nine does a good job of, continue, you know, showing us like an exploded out version because we have yeah. a cult planet. Right. We have a planet full of cultists who yeah. all like operate yeah. uh, in this way. And so he's he shrouded in mystery. We don't know what his deal is. Uh, he, he's got this weird type of confidence that's very unusual. And then he takes off his mask and he looks like a baby. Yeah. Yeah. He's like kind of pouty and he's not impressive. Um, you can see right through him immediately, which I imagine is probably one of the reasons why you didn't necessarily love Adam Driver for the role or had like conflict with the role. Yeah. Because that think, is a I subversion, so. right? Yeah. It's like this isn't the like cool, moody, like, especially when you saw that first trailer, you, you know, with the freaking cross lightsaber, you didn't right. know if that was even going to be an important character, if he's going to be like an assassin. But right, right. And then you get this guy, and then it, so it demeans him by taking off his mask. It demeans yes. him by uh, his treatment at uh, Supreme Leader Snoke. Mm-hmm. We kind of see that, like, okay, this is what you've got going on. And then he demeans himself with his rages. Right. Because we have, uh, I, I initially come from an improv world, mm-hmm. and a very quick way to establish status if you're doing like an improv scene is the character who wants something the most has low status. Yes. The character who doesn't want the thing or who has to be talked into the thing has high status. Mm -hmm. So as soon as Kylo goes into a rage, he's showing himself to have low status. We are not impressed by it. Yeah, that's a really good way to, to talk about it. That's... That's very well, cool. Yeah. And, and this was, you know, to, to bring it up an entirely other movie that people had different conflict with. If you have Suicide Squad's Joker. Mm-hmm. Right. This is another yeah. example of that is mm-hmm. 
this was the first Joker we've ever had with a low status Joker. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't think about that. He never acts. He only reacts. He Mm. only reacts to what other people are doing around him, whether it's big or small. Whereas like your Heath Ledger Joker doesn't even react to the people in front of him, right? Right. He tries to say something and they make fun of him and he goes, no, I'm not. And then keeps going on with his monologue, right? He, he's unaffected. Right. And so that that's what we get. And so that is not employed well or intentionally in Suicide Squad. But in yeah. this, I feel like that's employed well. I think it is intentional, yeah. Right. And then even areas like some people are like, oh, how, how are they, you know, how is... Kylo, you know, getting beaten up by which he doesn't get beaten up by Finn, but like, you know, it's like, how, how does, how is he taking damage by Finn? And then how does Mm. he get beaten by Ray? Right. Uh, And I'm just gonna, I'm on a roll bringing up other movies. Yeah, why not? My favorite Bane quote from the third Batman Mm -hmm, movie, victory mm -hmm. has defeated you. Mm, You have had no competition. You have had no equals the way he fights is wide open. He leaves his body open, yeah. sword at the side, ready to take damage because he knows that like even, and you might have had this experience in Witcher later on in mm-hmm. The Witcher. You don't really care if you get hit because you know Gerald's going to be fine, yeah. right? He's going to yeah. be okay. Yeah, that's why you get the cool armor. <laughs> yeah, and then and then let's not like discount the fact that like Finn is literally a trained soldier from birth. Right. He is more training than the vast majority of action heroes from 80s action movies. And then Rey has also been fighting for her whole life. And she's strong in the ways of the force, specifically strong in the ways that Kylo has a lot of conflict with because he's tempted by those things. So when you bring all of those together, you get this very interesting villain. Yeah. And And I also, when people talk about the fact that Kylo is the archetypical terrible star wars fan like entitled mm, star wars fan mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i i agree with all of that right? yeah I, but i feel like it's intentional it feels like maybe, absolutely maybe initially like i was saying i didn't love him at first i think that it's because i didn't understand that intentionality of what he is yeah. and then the more you watch it the more you're like oh no this is a hundred percent on purpose <laughs> and um, and it's actually really interesting. Yeah, intentionality is extremely important. You you can employ a lot of things. Like, Kylo's not a good person. He's not yeah. a good, you know, he represents a lot of things that create real terror in our real in our real lives, right? Yeah. You know, I, I've got a lot of friends in the gaming industry who were, mm-hmm. like, at and continue to be the targets of game, you know, Gamergate. And right. these, like... Mm-hmm extreme movements yeah um and kylo exists in all of those it's the intentionality which it was employed right right kylo is not something to aspire to which is why so many of those angry star wars fans that kylo like resembles Mm -hmm. were mad about him yeah because they're like this isn't my power fantasy this isn't my cool sith (laughs) like right let's go even when he kills han it's because han basically begs him to do it yeah yeah. Like, because Han knows if you do this, that's it for you. You're not going to be able, I know yeah. your character. I know you will not be able to come back from rise yeah. to what you want from killing me. Like, yeah. killing me is going to break you. Like, this is going to fracture you as a character. You yeah. will never be able to commit to the Sith after this. Absolutely. And just to tie tie this into the wine world a little bit, um, I was thinking about, about Kylo and and very similarly to like, in Gamergate and and so many other 
facets of media and and just every every industry probably but in the wine industry this may shock you but there are a lot of really shitty for lack of a better word like wine bros who um, right. who are like really sexist and and like really petty and and think that they are the greatest and of course you know there's got to be conflict there like there's got to be insecurity in these people but having worked with many of them they're really shitty to be around (laughs) and yeah um and so to me that's kind of what kylo is in this movie uh he's Mm -hmm. he's that kind of that kind of personality just Fits in the worst part of wine culture. Absolutely, yeah. It's the... not like you take those bros seriously. I mean, anytime you put no. bro uh, bro as a descriptive to someone, it's not someone anybody's taking seriously. It's someone who takes themselves very seriously. Exactly, exactly. It's someone who takes themselves very seriously, which, <laughs> again, one of my favorite moments in this, I think it's in this movie and not The Last Jedi, but it's it's a Kylo moment where, where he's like throwing a tantrum and the stormtroopers are walking past and then they're like, and then nope. walk away. And then they walk away. <laughs> I was like, that's perfect. Yeah. Like <laughs> the acknowledgments. They did a good job uh humanizing and I don't mean that positively, but humanizing the stormtroopers yeah. of just being like, Oh, like did you see the SNL undercover bosses, Kylo Ren? I don't think I did. Okay, uh, after we're done recording, they, you I, know, I like the, the reality show Undercover Bosses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so they did, uh, when episode seven came out and Adam Driver was the guest of SNL, yeah. um, they did a really high quality Undercover Bosses of Kylo, like, goes as a technician uh-huh. and hangs out <laughs> with all, like, the stormtroopers and the people working <laughs> on Starkiller Base. Yeah. And it's so, that's where the whole, like, I heard Kylo Ren has an eight pack comes from. <laughs> <laughs> I th- I sort of remember this this like yeah. being around on the internet, but I don't think I ever saw it. So I'm gonna have to. Well, and that that also that also showed that Adam Driver just like got this character right. Yeah. Adam Driver was not trying to play a badass. Adam yeah. Driver. And speaking of Adam Driver, I give him so like it is not easy. You're you're an actor. It is not easy to bring all those elements to a character to be like, I need to play a character that's going to be compelling, but that we're also going to undermine all of the expectations of and everything they're trying to do. Yeah. And while we only got it for like five minutes when he did like when we got to see Ben Solo at the end of episode nine. Right. It was still the same character, but you're like, oh, this is Han's son. Yeah. This is Leia's son. Yeah. You absolutely came from this like fabric. Like Yeah. Oh, so good. No, I I totally agree. The more the more I watch these movies and the more I watch Adam Driver just generally as an actor, the more I have so much respect for him and what he did specifically in these movies. Um, mm-hmm. because I think in the hands of a slightly less less empathetic, less someone who didn't get this character, it would have completely failed. And and, and I think we can say that of all of these actors mm-hmm. were not trying to be cool. Yeah. They were trying to do their characters justice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're, you're a prominent performer in the audio drama world. And oh, that's well, something <laughs> I think audio, yeah, audio drama does a really good job of is showing us the parts of the characters that the characters wouldn't want us to know about. Yeah. Yeah, that does humanize them. And as an actor, you need to bring that right. You need Mm -hmm. to like 
if someone were to hand you a scene where your character is being humiliated, you need to be like, oh, good. They need to be taken down a couple pegs. Yeah. Right? yeah. You can't be like, oh, I don't know about this. Yeah. yeah. No, I love I personally love it when my characters go through terrible things. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I mean I'm th- still thinking of the Minkowski like musical. <laughs> oh, my God. Drunken was, I, musical thing. I mean, that was one of the most fun episodes to record <laughs> so so good i think that that was what like really won me over on the show oh well, when I was first listening oh, good. To I'm, it. I'm glad which yeah. i i listened to all of wolf 359 when i listened to that show in the bookstore where i met jj oh, abrams and oh where my goodness see it's full all connected. circle bringing full circle. it all together uh, well, thank you. Well, thank you so much. But I, I, I did feel that definitely for Minkowski, and and I, I would bet that most, most actors would say the same thing. But, but whenever you can subvert the kind of status quo of your character and have them go through something. Really, and but that's that's a great example though the 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 like drunken singing like that's not like a <laughs> horrific thing for her to go through but for no. Minkowski that's like gotta be just absolutely the worst. devastating, <laughs> mortifying, <laughs> absolutely. And that is something that I felt Anakin completely lacked in episode one through three. Yes, yes. Anakin murders children. Right. <laughs> murders murders children. children. Right. Yep. He he performs an act of assault on his mm-hmm. pregnant wife. Yep. yep. And no part of the movie sheds a lens on that rather than being kind of edgy. Like, no part yeah. of the movie examines that. Like, if we were to take... I'm playing um, Last of Us 2 right now. And Last of Us 2 is making me rethink... Uh, one of my favorite Nintendo Switch games is this game, uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses, uh-huh. in which you are a military instructor at a school and you get to pick one of three countries to support Mm -hmm. and the big appeal of the game is you can play the game multiple times so if you pick like one country you're with them when they're like teens but then there's a five-year time jump and now you're fighting Mm. in wars Mm. and you're killing the other characters that you went to school with yeah (laughs) and the thing is then you can go play the other path and like realize like oh "Oh, wait no that person had a really good reason for doing what they're doing Mm. but it still doesn't like dig in deep whereas last of us 2 the entire game is based on digging into like oh, no, you need to think about these things. You need to think about who these characters are, especially if they're dying. And no part of episode, like, one through three really tries to do that. Like, if we were to take a step back or in a different director's hands, they might have been like, I don't care what you do. You killed children. You're irredeemable. Like, you you performed an act of assault on your pregnant wife. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. And, like, none of us took Anakin seriously because, like, I'm sorry, Hayden Christensen, you're so terrible. You're so bad I in mean, that role. On the one, on the one hand, yes, he did not do a great job. On the other yeah. hand, it was also really poorly written. The so, the movies didn't deserve better than Hayden Christensen. Yeah, yeah. So I feel for Natalie Portman, I like trying to get too. those lines out. I know, yeah, and, but um, like even she is ter- like I love Natalie Portman. I think she's a great actor, but even in those movies, she, like she is not good because it's very hard to be good (laughs) yeah i will never forget them like going out into the arena when she's just like no i really truly love you and watching natalie portman just struggle with trying to make these lines work yep putting her whole heart into trying Uh, to make these lines work which this brings me to one thing i did want to mention which is that george lucas had little to no involvement in these movies which 
Thank goodness. Which was exactly what needed to happen. (laughs) And last I checked, he had a lot of involvement in the final cut of episode nine. Mm, That makes sense. (laughs) There is a um, really good... In quarantine, I've like gotten into watching YouTube, which means I've like completely exhausted a lot of backlogs of like YouTubers I'd never heard of. Sure. And there is a YouTuber, I can't remember his name, Side Something, that gets into Mm -hmm. music score. Yeah. He's a very smart guy. And he gets into how convoluted the score becomes, like John Williams' score becomes Mm -hmm. from episode seven, where it's very intentional and it's very specific. Like you take Ray's theme, Mm -hmm. which is taken from like the Force theme, but kind of inverted and moved around. And same thing with Kylo's theme, right? They're Mm -hmm. reminiscent. They use some similar parts, but they're different themes. And how in episode nine, it was like they took all of these songs and they just put them in nostalgia order like it's clear john williams didn't actually he made all the music but he did not have a hand in the final cut right yeah no that makes sense we actually um if you're interested um we had a whole john williams episode with uh christopher dole from arden wonderful is brilliant and just like knows everything about john williams and he has amazing things to say about the scores in these movies Um, i love talking to christopher he's 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 got great he he just sent me some music yesterday. I'm, oh, uh, great. one of this I'm one of the sound designers on season two of Arden. Oh so awesome. which is like oh, dropping com- eminently. I know. I can't wait to hear it. I'm so I'm so excited. But yeah, no, that that makes total sense to me. I, I've only seen I've seen Rise of Skywalker twice now. Once when I first Same. saw it in theaters and then I rewatched it when it came out a couple of months ago. And um, I didn't pay super close attention to the score because, like you said, it's like kind of so much going on. <laughs> the which... score, the score undermines the movie mm. um, in the way that they. It, well, the score undermines the score. I will mm-hmm. say that. Interesting. Because okay. in Star Wars, you have a shared score, right? We yeah. see this in you. You said you did episodes of Lord of like we see this mm-hmm. in uh, Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah. We mm-hmm. see these score and these motifs like come back over and over again. Yes. Um, and in Star Wars, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. And you like some of the score evolved, right? What was originally Ben Kenobi's theme in episode four became just the force theme. Right. Because yeah. they started using it for things outside of uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Exactly. Um Whereas episode nine just just like, just like- the, it's the member berries of score. It's like, ooh, let's put this here. That's it. Much like, and there's one criticism that, or there's one like peeking behind the curtain that mm-hmm. I I will say for the end here because I don't want to ruin it for people who don't, who want to just love these movies, but that somebody uh-huh. pointed out to me. Sure. Anytime J.J. Abrams needs a scene to end, he has stormtroopers attack. Ooh, interest. Oh, I want to I, I want to rewatch them now knowing that <laughs> it it's a little upsetting. It's oh, very no. obvious in episode nine. I... It's very uh, it's less obvious, but still entirely true in episode seven. It's this. I believe it. I don't know if it's an incorrect way, but it is like an unusual way of driving pacing forward mm-hmm. of we have, you know, opening scene. Poe Dameron gets some plans. Cool. Yep. Stormtroopers attack. Yep, that's true. Um, yep. <laughs> Finn and Poe are escaping. Cool, everything's fine. Oh, Stormtroopers, stormtroopers attack. attack. Yep, 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 yep. Finn and Ray meet and are hanging out and are about to exchange some information. Stormtroopers, stormtroopers attack. attack. Yep, yep. Um, <laughs> Check this is out. <laughs> right, they 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 meet up. Um, they they meet up on. Uh, oh, what's her face? Great character. Uh, Big eye force, Ma- yeah, Ma- Maz. Yeah. They meet up on Maz plan- planet, and like she get, she has a great scene of like getting Luke's 
lightsaber and having the flashback and you see right. like the clips of the Knights of Ren back when they were going to be a thing. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. you 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 get all of this and then stormtroopers attack. Yeah, yeah, no, you're totally right. You're totally It does right. cheapen the movie and it helps me like kind of see some of the criticisms of it and I, I do have to point that out. I can I okay, that is fair. I can under I can understand but that. But episode 7 does a very good job with the stormtroopers attack whereas yes. episode 9 is just very blatant. But episode 9 I also I have a whole thing with movies where like a lot of bad movies are good movies if you like redefine them. And I first yeah. discovered this like uh, I, I was a scaredy cat, which is ironic because I'm a horror writer now uh-huh. in high school. And my friend was a bigger scaredy cat uh, when it came to movies. And we were watching Red Dragon nice. and he was very afraid. And I'm like, just pretend it's a Batman movie, but it's like a prequel. Batman yeah. shows up at the end, right? This is showing the setup. And he was able to watch the movie, right? In the way of like the the movie Constantine with Keanu Reeves is a really mm-hmm. bad Constantine movie, but it's a very great supernatural noir film. If you just treat it like an L.A. Sure. noir. Sure. It's a really good movie. Episode nine is the best Dungeons and Dragons movie ever made. There you go. Yes. If you think about it that way, it's really true. If you've ever (laughs) played, it has a lich. The villain is a lich. Mm -hmm, He's mm -hmm. caused all these undead like soldiers and dragons, aka star destroyers. Right. 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 To rise out of the thing. He has an abyss. They have like, they have, the MacGuffin is a knife and a weird like, pyramid thing that takes you to a special map like it's and then also the structure of it is the same that a Dungeons and Dragons campaign follows every scene is a session yeah and you know you spend a couple sessions in a place and then you go to a different place and then all of the random characters they just bring in for like two scenes are like your guests when your friend is in town and you're adding them to your D&D campaign That is a great way to think about it. Um, That's how I, I watched that movie. It's a good time. That and next time I watch it, I'm going to watch it that way <laughs> for sure. Yeah, imagine I was I'm playing. You know, I played this out in D and D. Like, when would all these happen? It's about right. a six month campaign. Yeah, that makes sense. That sounds about right. That sounds about right. I also just wanted to mention really quickly. You might enjoy a friend of mine. He has a horror blog um, called oh. Mondo Volgare, and he recently launched a podcast um, that I think you'd appreciate. Uh, I've been on a couple episodes of it called Celluloid Bastards, and it's basically all about great name. Uh, it is a great name. Um, it's all about uh, like loving quote unquote bad movies. So um, oh yeah, you might you might enjoy you might enjoy uh, some of his stuff. Okay, well, thank you for talking about it that way because I am now going to enjoy because I enjoyed episode nine and like I enjoy it, but like it is so like so much is going on. It's a great time <laughs> in the way of being force fed, tasty, neat looking things that might not hold up with aftertaste. Like, right, is a great time. Like, it is overwhelming. Yes, it absolutely. is an overwhelming movie. Absolutely. Whereas, like, episode seven is this, like, I would argue very well shot. I think it's, like, mm-hmm. one of the best shot movies, you know, competing no. with episode five. I think so, it too. Just, I think so, too. It does I... all these nice artsy film things that I'm a big yeah. fan of. Um, and one thing that I wanted to make sure to talk about um, is uh, BB-8. Because <laughs> as as simple, like, as simple as one might think, like, bringing a, a new droid into the universe would be i think that bb8 so elevates this movie and brings it into a new generation as much if not more than the characters 
I, w- I was so mad at BB-8 when I first saw it. I was mm-hmm. just like, um, why are we doing this? Okay. All yeah. right. And then I saw him. I'm like, this is great. And this yeah. is why consultants are important. If Yes. If I got it right, I probably have one of these names right. But I think it's uh, Ben Schwartz and Bill Hader were the yes. consultants for BB-8. I just found that out on yeah. the Wikipedia page. I was like, oh my God, well, that makes perfect sense. And then when you watch the movie, like knowing that, you can almost hear like Ben Schwartz's voice. <laughs> Absolutely. BB-8. Yeah. It's, it, it was brilliant. You know, brilliant. that was- And like, and like it, the flame coming out as the thumbs up and just like the way he- So like, good. Can like look like he's, you know, grasping his pearls, clutching his pearls. True, true. Between BB-8 and the the droid they bring in episode nine, I'm like, these are truly the droids for millennials. These are just stressed out, kind of like bombastic. Totally. (laughs) Well, and also, he's it's a practical effect, right? He's like an actual thing, and that's something that episode seven was just so good with. All the all the new trilogy was good with practical effects. They realize they they realize that the animation in in episodes one, two, and three, although like you know technically good for animation, just didn't work for. Well, and I recently um, watched through the Star Wars movie. Well, I, I watched through episode four through six. We haven't mm-hmm. made it to the new ones yet. Yeah, uh, with my partner who somehow has zero exposure to. Star Wars. Wow. She did not know that Darth Vader was Luke's father. <laughs> she did that, not know oh that Darth god. Vader turns on the Emperor in the end. Oh my god! To watch the original movies with someone who didn't know anything about Star Wars, I would the, kill for the, that. <laughs> the first, yeah, the first Star Wars thing she engaged with was the Mandalorian. Talk about the Mandalorian is the true hero that Star Wars needs because the Mandalorian right. forces episode one through three references in the same sentences as episode six through nine references. That's like, true. It's all Star Wars. It's yeah. all canon. You yeah. can't unwrite things you don't like. It's all here. Yeah. But yeah, so she she just didn't know these things and it was like so fun watching with her because I just got to you know it's like okay how much of this is nostalgia versus like what holds up in these right that sort of thing Mm -hmm. it was it was very interesting and unusual to kind of go through it with that lens yeah yeah you just got that raw reaction because it's so much a part of or at least for you know people like you and I who like had Star Wars around us pretty much since birth or young childhood we were in indoctrinated yeah exactly like i can't remember what it's like to not know that vader is luke's father well and the thing she kept pointing out was every time a cgi part that they edited into it in the like late 90s would (laughs) show up she's like wait what why it looks terrible so it's like cool you did this you did this thing to make them look better yeah that lasted five years yep yep (laughs) <laughs> and I, I'm glad Hollywood's kind of leaning more more back towards like practical effects right now. I agree. I agree. And I think I think that Moz is animated, um, but it I'm sure they had an actor, if not Lupita Nyongo, then somebody She's um, like she's like Gollum like animated. Yeah, like it's exactly. a it's a mix, right? The reason yeah. Lord of the Rings still holds up with that CGI is they just were constantly using mixes. It was always right. it was never all CGI. It was like right. Some practical, some CGI, some lighting. Exactly. Which, speaking of Lord of the Rings and Gollum, um, I did want to say, this is not so much a criticism of this movie. It's a little bit more a criticism of The Last Jedi. But I was disappointed in Snoke 
not because like I didn't get what they were trying to do with the character of Snoke, but because you had Andy Serkis playing him. And I feel <laughs> like they just squandered great opportunity for Andy Serkis to do more amazing things. But he, he is kind everything. of on. I mean, he did get some really good scenes in episode eight. He did. He did. Like it's that, true. that, that, that throne scene is one of the my favorite scene. thing in all of Star Wars. Well, the Wars. throne scene is incredible, but um, for me, it's more after he dies that that it gets <laughs> amazing. But the the scene is great. The scene with him and Ray in the uh, throne is is great. Yeah. Well, and then I just yeah that entire I mean that fight. You ever watch that fight to Don't Stop Me Now? Yes, Queen? I've seen I've seen it to it's Don't Stop great. Me Now and uh, the Chain great. by Fleetwood Mac. I remember when that was a thing. Wonder, like, wonderful. It was so good. It was love love that fight. So Every time people are like, "But the guy is holding a knife in one moment; and he's not in others." I'm like, "What kind of Sherlock Holmes brain do you have yeah. <laughs> that you were able to watch everything on screen and somehow notice?" I'm like, "That it doesn't matter." Like, it, yeah. okay, so you're the person who watched the magic act and noticed like that there's a box, right? Oh, exactly. You're not making the. I, I even now I try to watch the scene knowing like that faults people have pointed out, and I'm like, right. I, I don't see it, man. I don't like I'm not really trying to, but Well, it's like you said earlier. Ultimately, these are like meant to be fun sci-fi adventure movies that mm-hmm. happen to also often have like really compelling characters and so we get really invested in the story, but sometimes you just have to take a step back and be like this is just fun. And, <laughs> and I, I think Star Wars growing up has always had enough elements into it that I thought were silly or weird or whatnot that like while they are definitely a part of my DNA and I've spent I don't know how many hundreds of hours of my life engaged with Star Wars media. Right. They've never been sacred to me. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. They're part of my DNA, but they're not sa- like Lord of the Rings. I would count as something that's sacred because we Me have the too. trilogy and we're like, this is just like we just got the Blu-ray extended editions, which oh, even on those. Blu-ray is like 12 discs with all the special features. Oh, is it like, really? Oh, man, I might have to get them because I still have my like, you know, 20 year old extended edition DVD. They're, they're like 50 bucks. I split them with a couple of the roommates. It was not not bad for like Blu-ray versions of them. I might have um, to that because yeah. I, I'm the same way. Lord of the Rings to me is like the closest I get to religion in, right, in yeah. life. But and, and now it's the John Wick movies for me. Like no, John Wick awesome. is something <laughs> I don't I don't know if you've dug in, in the John Wick movies. My hot take for the episode is John Wick has more integrity and is more of a like cohesive <laughs> thing than Star Wars. I think I think that's a, and that's not an insult. John Wick is yeah. like a tight ship, right? Yeah. A watertight ship when it comes to all of this because they just like dole it out very carefully. Absolutely. No, I think you're right. Like part of the beauty of Star Wars is that it's sprawling. Mm-hmm. And sometimes like in movies like this, like I do think this is a very cohesive movie. Um, right. But both Last Jedi and The Force Awakens, or, I'm sorry, Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker in their own way are nowhere near as like cohesive and concise as this movie is. That's not yeah. to say I don't 
love, or at least love the last Jedi. They're um, magnificent. They're a magnificent yeah. film. Like they're like they are. Yeah. Every Star Wars film is a magnificent achievement. Absolutely, it sets standards. They develop new technology for them. And there's so much uh, love that goes into all of them. Um, well, and I'm glad. I'm glad that now we have this variety of opinion. We yes. have this, you know, you have things like the Mandalorian coming out, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To really, you, you're taking what was in the 2000s when the prequels were coming out of like, mm-hmm. there's all this alternate stuff you can find if you know where to look. Right. And now it is mainstream to have all these different Star Wars things. And I really like some of these and I, I don't like some of them as much. So that when hopefully the new trilogy, which mm-hmm. last I checked, Taika Watiti was still... That's the head what, of it, but they keep replacing the person. Yeah, has oh, no. nothing Fingers to do crossed. with has nothing to do with Skywalker's. Like to me, what you got to do is you got to go back to the roots of what inspired the first Star Wars movies. Mm-hmm. Give those to a new creator. Yes, let them take on some new inspirations as well. Hopefully, from more diverse perspectives um, and from other areas, because like. Why, like, if Taika Waititi does it, it's like, why wouldn't you bring in a lot of the, you know, this is something I've been digging into Station Blue a bit with uh-huh. Antarctica, just yeah. like um, the Maori and like all, all of the like mm-hmm. seascapers and the the wayfinders and whatnot in the the southern oceans of our planet. Mm-hmm. Like, why wouldn't you bring that into Star Wars? I feel like that's yeah. what I want out of the next Star Wars movies. I want, I'm fine with if there's the Force. I don't want Jedi anymore. Show me mm-hmm. other. We've already seen between Maz and between um, Chiru in uh, Rogue One. We've seen other Force sensitives yeah. and people who are competent. And Snoke. Yeah. Like, yeah. Com- you know, competent in the Force without being a Jedi or Sith or something. Right. Yeah. That's kind of what I want out of the future. It's like, go back to the roots. Don't respond to, like, existing Star Wars. Respond to the stuff that inspired Star Wars. I agree 100%. Let us hope that uh, George Lucas doesn't get any other ideas and want to resurrect the Skywalker well, story. I but... feel like he's they, they've killed all of this. All the Skywalkers are dead now. Yeah, so like, yeah. And I don't so... think he has any interest in Rey. I remember him being pretty upset with the seventh movie. Um, Is with that the one true? we're talking about right now. Mm. Yeah, because he's just like, well, I wanted it. It's like, you know, George, I, I'm glad you made this series. I for one, a lot of the best parts of the original Star Wars weren't even George, right? They were, yeah. at the time, uncredited screenwriters and, like, his yeah. ex-wife. Yeah. I'm glad she at least won a, an award for that. Like, she, apparently, right. the whole Death Star as a ticking clock wasn't even a thing. Mm. Like, she was the one that in post was like, hey... And correct me if I'm wrong, uh, listeners. I, uh, but I think you're right, w- but I'm sure I'm sure we'll be correct. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> hey, what if the Death Star we make it so it's threatening the Rebel base? Mm, that mm-hmm. makes sense, you yeah, know. So right, right. And this is something we have to do with every, I think, piece of media is we got to detangle these often men. Yep. Right. Even J.J. Abrams is not the like. It's not just him making these Star Wars movies. Absolutely. It's not just Rian Johnson. Like yeah. it's. It's not about auteurs. It's about these are entire teams. These are production companies. Like these are producers. Absolutely. Actors. Absolutely. Yeah, they are truly team efforts. And I think the more the more that we get that and get these stories, as you said, in new hands, um, I think th- that's what's going to keep the Star Wars universe alive well, and interesting yeah new new hands is the way to I and mean, we've you know enough of us have like 
Star Wars has been in your life and my life way longer than it was in George Lucas's life. That's true. Even though he's older yeah. than us, you know, he didn't yeah. have Star Wars when he was growing That's up. That's true. The way we, so, like, yeah. I've got faith in new creators to to kind of run off with this. It's just give me absolutely. some weird stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Watch no. Thor Ragnarok. More Ugh. weirds. If you if you've got a Shutter account, watch Blood Machines. Like, mm. or or just go on YouTube right now and watch Turbo Killer, the music video. Yeah, Blood Machines is written and acted terribly but it is gorgeous <laughs> and shows so much creativity i haven't seen that i haven't seen it but i've heard i've heard that about it and it, it's just it's like give me new weird sci-fi right guardians Absolutely. of the galaxy was in the right direction love it yeah no it's really true it's really true like and star wars is posed to do that in in such a high it, because it's kind of like the epitome of sci-fi in this age mm-hmm. at this at this time like it has such a rich opportunity to go in a more exciting direction and and disney's done that multiple time with superhero movies it's yeah. it's completely changed the way people think about superhero movies and then made them get bored of those new ideas and yeah. then changed them again so we yep. know like this company is like capable of of driving this, I would love it if the new Star Wars trilogy, for one, they give it a few years, because mm-hmm. I think that's another thing that they regret, that I also regret, is just Star Wars fatigue. It's yeah. Like when you have a movie coming out every year. Yeah. I um, I, I mean, I do I do hope and look forward to, I think, is the Obi-Wan Kenobi, it's now going to be a show, um, I, I, think, I think so. I think a series, and I I will watch it, or I'll at least give it a give it a try because I love you and McGregor, but um, and I'm sort of excited uh, to see him come into that role again, like 20 years Ian later. McGregor is so handsome. He's another person <laughs> I met at my bookstore. He's, um, he's one of those people the film does not do him justice. Yeah, like, he's yeah. so handsome. Um, my my husband has a big crush on Ewan McGregor, so I have I have competition. Just has this, <laughs> he's, he's he's this quiet kind of hermit like energy to him. Nice. It's very polite. Mm. Yeah. Mm. He I've heard I've heard really great things about him as like a person and an actor to work with. So well, I'm. I'm, uh, you know, like Mandalorian showed us what a big budget TV show could look mm-hmm, like in mm-hmm. a way that I was kind of skeptical of and like love Mandalorian. Yeah. But like Disney has a lot of these slated to come out and I still, I, I haven't seen enough of them. Like it could yeah. be that you will get me used to like a TV show that looks like a movie. Yeah, we'll see. It's a whole new, it's kind of a whole new age of and of film, I guess. Since it's it's not just it's not just movies, but it like television is becoming almost another venue for well, especially yeah with global quarantines, right? People yeah. who didn't touch streaming before, you know, my friend, my best friend and roommates' uh, grandparents are now all over Netflix. Totally, yeah. So you got all these new new demographics and kind of this new focus on streaming content. Yeah, yeah, and. I don't know. As long as Stranger yeah. Things gets to still exist, I, I will I will be fine. I'll I be think happy. it will. I think it will. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> Give me two um, more seasons. Give me season four and five and then I'm good. All right. Well, this feels like a good kind of ending place. But if there's anything else that you have to say about The Force Awakens or or any other big Star Wars idea generally, otherwise, I think we covered it pretty well. Yeah, I love. I still love Episode Seven. Me too. Um, I enjoy watching it. I 
I think it's going to be, it's going to take me the rest of the year to really, because a lot of, all, the, Seven was great by itself, but mm-hmm. it was the possibilities that it hinted at that yeah. were great. Mm-hmm. And now we know which of those possibilities were realized and which were not, which yeah. then changes things, yep. right? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's very, Who, it's very no, true. We all saw what happened with Game of Thrones. Luckily, I don't, while I think episode nine is going to make it where this new trilogy is not taken as seriously as it could be. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's going to, people are still talking about it and still watching it. So it's yeah. not like game of Thrones where like I, tr- I tried watch. I was like, well, I still have the first four or five seasons. I tried watching them. I, I have no interest in this anymore. As I, a thing. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I finished game of Thrones and uh, it, it did a similar thing in a w- much worse way <laughs> it, it, yeah, to it episode was... nine I w- is what I will say um, in terms of things just kind of coming out of nowhere. <laughs> the Yeah, the plot of episode nine was ridiculous, but they were still the same characters. They were yeah. still doing what I expected them to do. Whereas Absolutely. With, and get... the fight scenes are still great. Like there's a lot that's <sighs> really strong. The, the whole force, the whole... F- the realization of that force connection they made with Kylo and Ray yeah. that they then used to do like remote battles was yeah. so cool. Yeah, I know. Stuff like that. I can't hate the movie that, and stuff like that. That was really cool. That was really, really um, cool. But, but with, yeah, so I still, I don't, you know, it's, it's going to be a toss up between episode seven and five, but like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think they're great films. I, I think future star Wars films, I hope will like pay attention to just how carefully the story is told in episode seven. I think so. I think that history is going to be kind to episode seven. Yeah, I think I think history will be very kind to episode eight. Kind of walking yeah. away from eight, I'm like, I know a lot of us aren't happy with this, but like, I also think this kind of brought in film elements that like the series needed that nobody was ready for. And even now, we're seeing a lot of like your more critically minded people are fans of eight. I at this point, I would say like it's pretty close for me, seven and eight. But I think I like eight slightly more. But I had the opposite experience where I didn't love it when I first saw it, unlike Mm -hmm. Force Awakens, which I immediately loved and just like was totally delighted with. I wish I could take some some of a lot of my friends who just like love watching episode eight. I wish I could take some of that brain jelly and put it in my head so I could have the same experience because like I understand why people would have that experience. Yeah. And I've watched eight many times at this point and yeah. i really like i it's got some of my favorite stuff in all of star wars as a package it's still it's still good i enjoy it but i don't walk away like invigorated i i totally understand that um and and i think i had that experience seeing it for the first time and then mm-hmm. every time i've rewatched it i have enjoyed it more and maybe it's just that i focus on those individual strong elements and less on the the overall whole but and maybe that's yeah because last time i threw it like sometimes i'll just throw it's a really good movie to throw on because like yeah. yeah i love i love luke yeah i, I love a lot luke, of where you can kind of tune in and tune out um, that last the last scene or the battle with luke um and kylo at the end <laughs> so cool it's that might be my favorite scene in all of the, star wars I, I will say if the new trilogy has i think a legacy or a stamp that it's put on star wars it mm-hmm. is just the majesty of space and these planets like just the the way that they've taken the concept of a sci-fi movie and put a highlight on movie like these are things that are meant to be watched on on film right and then been like how do we make this as great as possible yeah but yeah that's our yeah i think that's kind of my concluding where i'm at yeah 
Like yeah. seven a lot, real good. I'm all I'm happy to argue about it too. If you want, if you find hey. me online, bother. Yeah, me. yeah. I don't have a, I don't have a lot of like emotional stake in it. Yeah. I'm just like no, nah, <laughs> I, I like this thing. This thing is nice to me. Well, speaking of that, um, in conclusion. Where can our listeners find you on the internet? What kinds of things are you involved in that you would like people to listen to or check out? So I operate, I am entrenched in the world in the wake <laughs> that uh, talented people like Emma and the team of Wolf oh. 359 have kind of created for us no. uh, in, in the fiction podcast scene. We're, so, the, we're the George Lucas of our <laughs> Absolutely. Of our <laughs> Though I do want you all to make more podcasts unlike George Lucas. So, um, so my show, the thing that yes. entirely came out of my head is a show called Station Blue. It's it is amazing. an isolation horror show that takes yeah. place in Antarctica. Yes. It has uh, a 20-something kind of transient person takes a job as a caretaker of this Antarctic research station. Mm -hmm. They drop him off, say the scientists will be here in six weeks, go follow the list. And so the first season is him alone in Antarctica <laughs> for six weeks, something he in concept desperately wanted. He wanted that cabin in the woods experience yeah. and has now learned that like, ooh, no, this isn't good. While it is like a horror story, it's good horror for people who are afraid of horror or who don't like horror. I dole out the horror very specifically and very like rarely. And then it also like it's ultimately a love story. Yes, so. I am very picky about my horror and I haven't listened to all of Station Blue, but I, what I have listened to of it is definitely like very palatable and enjoyable for it it's more, better than palatable it's fabulous but um <laughs> but in terms yeah. of like the horror contents like it it right. doesn't I'm, bother me it, it's more about mood and atmosphere I, yeah. yeah i'm i'm careful and then usually after i i if i scare you i take care of you afterwards Good. so yes. <laughs> the, the pacing is very i'm very careful with like how how i do this uh, season two is recording in August. And so, yeah, I had to put off recording it for quarantine, but I think we're moving ahead yeah. with the recording in August. So season awesome. two Ooh, I can't is going to be a lot. It's because I'm a, on top, like I'm the writer and the voice actor and the sound designer. That's a lot. Yeah. And so now that I know how to do all of those things mm -hmm. and I'm like competent at them, I've just tied those in. So season two is just going to, it's very ambitious, but I'm very excited about it. Well, I can't wait um, to hear it. And then more recently, I am the sound designer and executive producer of a show called Hit the Bricks. So good. Which Emma is in. I which am is in it briefly. <laughs> the best thing I've ever done. It is a, a return to Oz. It is a new story, new characters getting sucked into Oz. Oz has gone through about a thousand years of history since Dorothy was there. It's Five episodes can the first like act slash first season consists of five episodes. They are mm -hmm. 40 to 50 minutes long each. They featured so many soundscapes. This was six months of my life was just editing this show. Yeah, so it's have, incredible. You did an amazing job. Truly. Thank you. It, it is. We, if you haven't listened to Hit the Bricks, it is truly magnificent. We and, have received almost no feedback for the show. Really? No, we, yeah, PJ is dying for feedback. If you can send PJ feedback, because he's he doesn't. He's like, I don't know what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. Because <laughs> just hit the bricks. I would just like, yeah, listen, listen to the opening scene of Hit the Bricks. Yeah. Because it, and then also you're gonna you're gonna end up in glass cities underground. You're gonna end up on a rocket train to the moon, and the moon is made out of clockwork. 
It's so weird and so cool. Which battles, there's music. It's this wild thing. Yeah. So those are those are kind of the two things I think that are most tied to my identity. Awesome. And then I do a bunch of voice acting. Um, I play the villain in this show called Less is Morgue. Mm-hmm. I'm a sound designer in the new season of Arden, which is very good and should be coming out by the time this episode drops. Which I also have a very small cameo in, which I'm excited oh, I'm to excited. hear. <laughs> I mean, yeah, my Twitter handles are at Chad Manic, C-H-A-D-M-A-N-I-C. Uh, and then you can follow Station Blue Pod. And I believe Do Hit the it. Bricks is also Hit the Bricks Pod. I think so, yes. I'll put links yeah. to everything in the show notes. So you can just go to your podcatcher, press that little button. We'll bring you right there. Check it out. Sweet. Well, Chad, thank you so much. This was so fun. Uh, this was D- great. This was a blast. Yeah. yeah. This was just really great to to unpack some of these thoughts and about these just really fun movie or this particular really fun movie at least it's just i yeah i i I love like shows like this that are just kind of like just love letters and tributes to media that like influence us with wine with wine even better well on that note cheers i look forward to sharing a glass of wine or a glass a bottle of wine let's say when, you know, quarantine is over and we can be in the same space. (laughs) I I desperately look forward to that. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Pairing was created, hosted, and produced by Emma Scherzarko, with music and audio recording by Winston Shaw and logo artwork by Darcy Zimmerman and Katie Huey. This episode was edited by Emma Scherzarko. Follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Pairing Podcast to keep tabs on what we're up to. And feel free to send us any thoughts, questions, requests, and pairings of your own on our website, thepairingpodcast.com, via email at pairingpodcast at gmail.com, or on any social media platform. Come check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast where you can pledge as little as $1 a month and get access to exclusive content, customized pairings from me, live streams, and more. Also, check out our merch store on our website at thepairingpodcast.com merch. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends. Thank you so much for listening to Pairing, where you come for the stories and stay for the wine.